Learning how to grow your business, that is your job. Being the one to do everything in your business, however, is not. Welcome to That's Not My Job, an introvert's guide to building a business beyond yourself. All right, guys, so I have another amazing guest on today, and his name is JR. And so we're going to be diving into, you know, his business a little bit more and what he's been able to do, you know, since starting, you know, spoiler alert, he's, you know, in 2023, 2024, you know, is, is already, you know, trailing for 5 million plus a year business. So already doing extremely well. JR, man, tell me a little bit about, you know, how how you got started and you know how it's gotten to this point you know the people that are listening in typically are you know they're they're in the solopreneur uh point in their business they're trying to scale they're trying to build a business beyond themselves obviously you've done that um and, and they're continuing to do that so you know just uh yeah tell us tell us a little bit about how this thing got started and a little bit more about your business as well yeah first of all thanks for having me yeah uh, my name is jr i'm a 29 year old entrepreneur and I originally got my start when I was 18. I seller financed a tax business with uh, barely any tax knowledge. And I bought it with $5,000 down. And that was my first time really being in charge of other people, which was crazy because I was, um, you know, 18, 19 years old. My oldest employee was 65. And we had 53 people on staff W-2s. And uh, really, you know, no one really prepared me for, to me, business ownership at the time in my mind was just making sales and then getting fulfillment done. I didn't realize the massive variable called human beings that existed in every business and really having never run a business, like, you know, your whole life, you go into an ice cream shop, you get ice cream, you go to get your taxes done, you get your taxes done. And you, that's all you really see is like the transaction. You don't see all the back end, all the people that called off all the, the times they were short staffed, all the people that quit with it, I just like stopped showing up. And uh, it was interesting because I was like, man, this is a lot harder than I thought. Like just getting people to be motivated to do things properly. Uh, you train them five times on one thing, they still do it wrong. Sometimes just overtly missing common sense uh, type. Like I had a, a tax preparer that anytime she was with a client, she would literally take the the office phone and you know when you're like on a landline like when you're going to call and it has the dial tone mm -hmm. so it was cordless so she would press like she was going to call and just leave it off the hook so that we couldn't get any phone calls to distract her while she was doing a tax return so and it took me months to figure out that she was doing this right oh because i wasn't there most of the time but in her mind she's like oh i'm with a client i i shouldn't be distracted and that made total mm -hmm. sense so something that's to me and you and everybody listening is probably su such common sense to her is not like we never had an SOP on not putting the phone <laughs> off the hook while you're doing a tax. Return. Don't stop all other business because you're fulfilling on part of the business. <laughs> right. And imagine just how many phone calls. It's probably like a month before I realized she was doing this. So, <laughs> yeah. So and it was funny because I eventually had three locations and then I had cameras and I was I was calling the store. And it was just busy, busy, busy. So then I checked the camera and I see the phone right next to her. And that's how I kind of put two and two together. So, um, so yeah, like that, that was kind of my first dose of entrepreneurship and realizing, you know, how hard it is to actually put a good team together. Yeah. Eventually I sold that business and that led to me getting into the digital marketing game. 
Mm -hmm. uh, had a few businesses in digital marketing. And then today our business is we have a done for you Airbnb arbitrage service where we find a property for you negotiate the lease with the landlord. And then you sign your name on the property with the intention to put it on Airbnb. We get the landlord's permission to do that. And then we fly out our interior decoration team to design the property for you, stage it, get the photos done and really make it just turnkey ready for Airbnb. So why, why Airbnb? Why, why was that the, the path to go down? Like, obviously, you know, it was, it was the tax business and it w went to digital marketing. What was it that, you know, brought, brought you into the Airbnb business and then, you know, then helping other people get into this business? Um, what, what was, what was kind of the thing that brought you into that? Yeah. So everybody in the world wants to do real estate, quote unquote. So I also wanted to do real estate and I got into getting some long terms and my immediate goal was to cover my living expenses with cash flow. And I realized with long terms that would uh, take a lot longer. And I had accumulated like 10 long term units. And that's when I started to research Airbnb. And then I got one Airbnb property and it beat the cash flow of all of my units combined. So I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. So then I got another Airbnb and another Airbnb. And I realized that, as you know, when you quote unquote do real estate, everybody starts reaching out to you and like, hey, I want to do this. Can I do a deal with you? Can I get involved somehow? So uh, that started happening. I started partnering with people. And the more I would post, the more people I, sh I saw people were, were interested in like Airbnb stuff. So I was like, man, we should make an offer around Airbnb. And I looked at the market and everybody was every Airbnb offer out there is give me money and I'll coach you on how to do Airbnb. And I wanted to I realized that there wasn't a need in the marketplace for another offer like that. So I'm uh, pretty good at creating offers. So I, I came up with a done for you Airbnb offer where we would do the majority of the legwork for you. And you could essentially just get the property and then manage it from there. So that's kind of how that idea was born. Okay. So, so that idea was born and, you know, let's look like what's, what's the business look like today? So now, you know, that idea was born. When was that, you know, how many years has it been and what does your team look like? You know, employee count, you know, and what, what does that look like today? Yeah. So we launched this company in February, late February, 2022. So we're about to be two years old. And the first year we did about 2.1, 2.2 million in revenue from February to December, uh, which was to me at the time was just mind blowing. Right out the gate. That's yeah. Sick. <laughs> and, you know, we started the company with like $3,000 in ad spend <laughs> and 2023, we did about $5.1 million. And so far, I think we're trending this year to do anywhere between like six and a half to seven. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, it's the, be the beginning of the year. So yeah. um, our, as far as team, we have about a core team of like 20, and then we have 15 interior decorators, and they're the ones who are kind of freelance part-time. They fly out, they do one project a month, one, two projects a month on site. And uh, the majority of our, our in-house team is really just uh, management, people who find the leases and the the sales team and uh, client success, customer success. Dude, that's okay. So I just want to make sure. So around 15-ish team members or that? 35. Yes, 35. In, including oh, the okay, design yeah, yeah. team. Design team. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So 30, around 35 team members. Dude, that's 
That's amazing. I mean, and that's a short period of time too, just within, you know, almost two years. You know, what what was that? Um, what was the first role that you hired? And obviously you've had some experience, you know, from digital marketing. And then prior to that, you had the experience in, you know, running the tax business. Um, what was the first role that you hired at, you know, in, in the uh, Airbnb business? Yeah. So the the first day, so we sat down, we built our entire the, the bones of our company, minimum viable product in one day. So I came over to my business partner's apartment. We built the landing page, the thank you page, the thank you page video. We built the pitch deck and then we hired a sales guy. That was literally all on the very first day. So the reason we hired the sales guy is because you could essentially, if you're trying to run a company and do sales, it's very hard to fill your calendar with eight hours a day worth of sales calls. So we were like, this is the first hire we need to make. I made some calls. Literally, it was it was like hitting everybody up. Hey, who needs a job? One guy was like, hey, I just left my sales job. I'm about to interview for another one on Monday. We got on a call with him. We're like, cool, you're hired. He started, this was on a Friday. He started on Monday. So that was, and, and it's the best role I would say to make the hire for because it's commission only. So yeah, you not really- a risk for you. Right, exactly. And uh, that will then allow you to go harder. And it's funny because if, if you see these like, business, like local business owners, for example, let's say a guy that's, I'm having a pool built at one of my properties. The guy that manages the the people that build the pool and is also part of the team that builds the pool was the one that did the sales. So, and this has been going on for like 15 years. So the average small business owner never even gets to that, that point because they're like, I don't want to give away some of that, or I don't want to, I don't have enough lead flow or whatever. But if you give away the sales, now you have the time to figure out how to, how to fill their calendar and how to how to pack out the lead flow. So it's it's amazing to me that you could run a business for 20 years and you've never once thought about like, maybe I should give up the sales and focus time on how to get more customers. And maybe I shouldn't rely 100% on word of mouth. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny, as, you know, as you're talking about that. I mean, you know, there is a, um, a business that, you know, we bought summer of this last year and, you know, the owner's kind of doing all the things, you know, they have about 16 employees and the owner was doing the selling, kind of fulfilling, kind of everyone kind of does a little bit of everything, right? You know, and there's no like kind of, you know, diversification of roles of like, hey, you just do this and you do that. It was kind of like everyone just runs to the fire of the day and it's just kind of, and that's what a lot of those small businesses do. And, you know, their team's just kind of like, yeah, you're going to go out to the property, you know, and the customers call, sell them and, you know, then make sure everything gets handled too once it's sold. Yeah. And, you know, it's like there has to be that separation of roles. So, so that was the first hire, um, which I mean, I see everything in any business is the foundation of sales. Like if you don't have sales, you don't have money. If you don't have money, that's the oxygen of the business, then none of the other things really matter anyway. So I uh, love that. So, so now, you know, you've scaled up to this point, you know, what, what do you see as like your biggest challenge now or the thing that you're currently trying to work through to go to the the next level? I mean, obviously it sounds like you're trending already, you know, six, 7 million this year. Um, so it's still growing, but what do you see as the biggest challenge at this point? Yeah, I actually thought about this quite a bit in preparation for this podcast. And I realized that the, the top business owners in the world they have mass mass leverage. For example, Elon Musk launched the Boring Company, and it was it was just a side project to him. So he went to someone and he was like, "Hey, you do all the marketing. Hey, you build a flamethrower, 
and I'll make a couple tweets and it, it just magically got done. Right. So the, I think for me, the next level is if you've heard the saying is like the levels of leadership is like the first level is like being a leader. The second le level is creating leaders. The third level is creating leaders that create leaders. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that I'm at the point where I am figuring out how to create leaders that create leaders. And yeah. one of my biggest lessons in the past year is like one, uh, you know, the first time you hire somebody for like a C level position, you're probably going to make a huge mistake with that hire. And that's what, what we did. Um, we found somebody that had no experience. It's actually comical thinking back. They applied for a client success role and we were like, we think you should be the COO. <laughs> and, uh, it just, you know, we, you know, everything kind of seemed like it made sense. And then I, a, like a week later, moment. you're like, yeah, this sounds good. This is a good decision. Yeah. <laughs> and then a week later, I was telling one of my friends about the hire. And he, the first thing he said was, does she have COO experience? And I was like, well, no, but she has like this, this and that. And then he was like, then you've made a huge mistake. You should fire her and start over. And I wanted to prove to him that I didn't make a huge mistake. Uh, but then eventually we realized that we did. And the cost of that poor decision was, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and once, once that person, you know, when someone leaves and then you really dive into what they're doing and you find like, it's like finding dead bodies all over the place. Yeah. You're like, yo, like this is what was going on or like, this wasn't even happening at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I have a, so another example is me and you recently joined a mastermind, uh, mm -hmm. that we met or it, where we met originally. Yeah. Yeah. So I found out uh, on the last call with the the head guy of the mastermind that they fired their CEO who was at the event. I felt and, like he uh, should be. That guy was too, too paid <laughs> for like, he didn't seem like he was really that with it, honestly. <laughs> and, and even when uh, we got to ask him like, you know, well, why'd you do that? And he was like, I'm surprised we made as much money as we did with all the things that were missing. He's like, we had, I had discovered 300,000 leads that we had like, paid for. These were like full applications, like name, phone number, uh, how much they make, all that kind of stuff. And there has been no contact of them at all in like a year. And uh, so stuff like that, even at, at that level, um, you know, having the wrong person or having someone that overlooks things can cost you a lot of money. And typically like in your C-suite, you put a lot of trust in them. So you're mm -hmm. not constantly double checking every no. little thing. Um, so I think for me, the, the biggest challenge now is continuing to find uh, amazing talent, but really finding talent that you can, that gives you leverage in the form of, you can say, hey, go, this is the project I want done, go do it. And they create the website, they make the hires for it, they build the product out, all the SOPs get done, and then you check it and it's flawless as if uh, you did it. And that, that hire, those kinds of hires are very difficult to make. A hundred percent. No, I, I love that. And so I, I have a few thoughts on that. So like one of the first thoughts that I, that comes to mind is, and I, and I tell other friends that are, you know, building up their businesses as well is title matters to me and you title doesn't matter. We don't care. We don't care. We're business owners. We're entrepreneurs. We're just like, dude, like just, let's just get done. Like we don't really, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter. But to team members, a lot of times it actually does, even if they say it doesn't. 
So mm-hmm. the thing that, you know, a lot of people make mistakes of, and I've made this mistake and had to correct it. And it's painful is similar to that of like giving, you know, too high of a title for what the role actually is. And so what we create within, you know, each company is essentially like our employee growth plan where we go and like each individual department has a, an ascension plan, you know, essentially set up where it's, uh, you know, let's say it's, a uh, you know, in our editing team, it's that, you know, you start as a junior editor, then you go to editor, then you go to senior editor, then you could go to uh, maybe it's the to production manager, then senior production manager, you know, and so it's like you can go up these these tiers and then eventually it's, you know, overseeing more things and it might actually go to, you know, uh, a VP of operations and then a president of operations, like all the way up to where COO would be like literally 12 steps or 10 steps from like the entry level role within the company. And so that was a really important thing that has really helped us is like outlining each department of like, this is what the role is. Here's what the next one is. And kind of, you know, uh, growing up through those different roles to whatever the highest level that they could achieve there, even if the roles don't exist, like for, you know, in, in that comments on the editors, like, Junior, we have junior editors, we have editors, we have a senior editor, then we have a production manager, but those roles above don't really exist yet, but it's showing them the path of where they could go. But it also helps you and then like the the leaders that you're building to make sure that they're bringing people in at the appropriate role. And, and when you're hiring and you're recruiting, you're advertising for the right role with the right amount of experience as well. So that was one thing that's been super helpful is like making sure that's outlined. And then the other piece, is and this is you know on the c-suite side is you know we have a cfo he's the only actual c-suite other roles are directors um because i've learned more on that as well but you know we our, our cfo is great you know doctorate of finance and accounting you know 20 years of experience like he's he's a stud and so he's great but the the thing is that i've realized is you know and in, in building those layers of leadership is i write out how I want departments to function. So literally this morning I was writing out cause we, we don't really have, um, you know, an internal sales team that, you know, leadership in, in house. Like we have agency sales teams that kind of handle, uh, handle our stuff right now. And so, um, we want to bring that in house. And so I'm bringing on a sales director and he'll be starting in about a week or two. And the thing is, and I've done this for our, you know, our IT tech department, and I did this for finance. Finance is where I started it. And this is why. So CFO starts, amazing, freaking genius dude. He would send me reports on a monthly basis that I couldn't understand. Like it was too high level for me. Or he'd like send me communication. I'm like, bro, like I didn't go to college. Like you're a doctorate of finance and accounting. Like I don't know what you're, I, I can't read this. And so I was, I was talking to, I have a personal coach and, you know, he built, uh, you know, he, he was a part of the leadership team that built Infusionsoft to a hundred plus million dollar company. And so I was, I was venting to him. I'm like, man, like I'm really struggling with my finance side of the business and, and actually like aligning on what we're talking about. Like I say something, he says something back and the, the communication isn't sinking. And so now what I do for each department is I actually have an individual document that all any leaders in that department get access to. So for sales that I just did this for, but when I did it for finance, I wrote, what does success in the finance department look like? 
And so I just started writing everything that would mean success to me. And I started listing out, you know, things that would mean it wasn't successful too, so that I was able to then deliver that to my CFO. And I said, Ben, this document is the framework of how we are going to win together and how we can communicate. And like, there's simple things on there. When reports come out on a monthly basis, if you could not show that report to a fifth grader and they would understand it, do not send it. And if you, if they could understand it, then do send it because that means I will be able to understand the report. You know, it, it means that, you know, our companies have X amount of reserves for all of our operating expenses, you know, X amount of months, because that's what I want to see happen. He just handles that. It means that our belief system on distributions are this. So distributions happen this way. Tax distributions happen this way. And so just really writing out like high level, what all of those things look like, um, and, and where, you know, Hey, I, we have multiple people in our finance department now. So it's like, I, a part of that document is I just want to know who is it that I need to go ask a question to if I have a question about one of the specific companies, you know, accounts receivable or payable or what's going on in a certain, certain area. Cause you can't, you, I also don't expect our CFO to be the all knowing of every single transaction between multiple companies. Cause it's not, that's not realistic either, but I did that for finance and then I did it for technology and our IT team as well because we've really struggled with that department. Like we'd hire, fire, hire, fire, hire, fire, hire, fire. And I just wanted to rip my hair out. And then I, I followed that up too. And I just wrote out this document of like, this is what success is at our company and, you know, tech, IT. And just in simple terms, how I want to see things function, how it should operate, and you know all of these different things and so that I'm able to give that to the lead that we have in that department and that alongside of their job description and you know they have their key performance indicators of like this is like just what you need to do for your job but the what success looks like in the department is kind of like their north star of like if you read through this and you don't feel that these things are being done to what this document says, it means that we're not succeeding in this department. And that really helped me because oftentimes work to a finance or a tech person that isn't finance or techie, like you, you speak different languages. So you have to like simplify it down. And that was, that was something that's been super beneficial. And I just managed also to that. I'm like, yo, like this isn't making sense. Like let's revisit this document this is this section here is what I'm needing. If, and that is what winning and success is to me. So that's, that's something that I'd recommend. I just went on a tangent, but those are a few things that one helped that ascension path for roles. And then also the, you know, outlining the successful outcome that you're wanting to see so that you could manage to that versus just, you know, hoping they figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, leadership skills, as well or, or just so like yesterday i had to get on, i have a team member that performs well when they're motivated but when they're demotivated it's like half the production so sales role no it's actually a, an acquisition basically like the the role that signs leases oh okay. um, so they have a, a kpi they need to hit every month and when she's motivated she's like 50 percent above kpi and when she's not she's like 20% below KPI. So, and, it, and typically, so I was trying to figure out, and this is where like the nuance of, of leadership comes in and like empathy 
and she has like a direct manager as well. And I, I barely, I only really get involved when I need to. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I was trying to figure out, is she, does she just naturally get demotivated or is it a leadership thing that happens that then demotivates her? And old JR, I would have jumped on and been like, Hey, you're below KPI. Like you got, you know, 30 days to fix it or, you know, you're shipped out. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I, I, I've learned now, it's like, that's the, the complete wrong approach with people because, uh, then they'll either, they might hit KPI, but they get kind of resentful and they're still not going to reach like their max potential. Um, or they just get so demotivated off that and like immediately start looking for another job. And now you just waste 30 days with them just sitting, sitting around. So instead, so I, I thought very methodically of, of like how I'm going to jump on this call. And I think the way that I approached it is something that I noticed bosses never did for me when I had, you know, jobs in high school and stuff. So I, I jumped on and I was like, so the, the purpose of this call is just to, you know, give each other feedback, see what we can improve as a management team, and then we'll give you feedback as well. So I started with her giving us feedback and that was probably like a 20 minute 20, 30 minute conversation right there where you just make them feel heard. And then from there, I was like, okay, cool. So what are some things that you think you're doing well on? And then she told me that. And then I was like, okay, cool. And what are some things you think you could improve on? And typically the things that they're going to tell you they can improve on are the things that you want them to improve on anyways. Yeah. So she said organization. And basically there, the issue was she wasn't like, keeping her leads updated and like closing everything out at the end of the day. And it just got really messy and then it would stack up and it'd be like a week. And then it also affected her team because there's people getting her these leads. Now they're, they feel like they're compensated based on her, like closing these and they feel like she's not, you know, it's a whole trickle closing. effect. Yeah. So now that person's demotivated and then the other people on the on the team see this happening as well. And then they see like, Oh, I can kind of get away with this or get away with that. So it's a, it's a huge trickle effect. So, I said the way that I, I kind of approached this conversation was like, okay, what do you think you can do better? She said organization. And I was like, okay, can you elaborate on that? And then she said the exact thing that we knew was her, was the issue, her keeping, staying on top of the leads. So I basically came up with a system where someone else would be accountable. Uh, she'd be accountable to someone else every day. And if she didn't, uh, they would post in a Slack channel, which is basically her assistant. Hey, um, Thanks for, you know, updating everything or, Hey, I noticed you updated this, but these three or four things still need to get done before the end of the day. Um, and that would be in a Slack channel where we'd all see it. And though there's two ways to interpret that either one, she could look at that as like, Oh, now I'm being micromanaged or two, she could look at it as like, Oh, now I'm being held accountable, but how she looks at it depends on how I framed it. So here's how I kind of framed it. So first thing I said was, um, yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you're a lot like me in that way, in the sense that we're not the most organized. And let me tell you, like one thing that helped me is like, so right now my, my girlfriend is on a clinical rotation and meaning she's staying in another city five hours away for six weeks and she's at, she's at the end of it, but she's been coming home every weekend. So basically she'll come home Thursday or Friday, depending on her schedule and then leave Sunday. So I said, when I know that she's not going to be here, the house gets really messy. So like I'll, I'll take off my clothes and just leave them on the floor of the closet. I'll try on three outfits and I won't put them back on the hangers. 
I will, um, you know, the, I have like a kitchen island, a bunch of stuff will just get scattered, papers, box, Amazon boxes, et cetera. And I know that when she comes home on Friday, the last thing she wants to see is a messy house. So Thursday night, I'm cleaning the house. Now, imagine if I was just single and I knew no one was going to see this for weeks, what the house would look like. So I, I related that to, to this situation in, in terms of accountability. The only reason that my house is clean right now is because I have somebody that's going to see it and I have accountability at the end of the week. But if I didn't, I'd be like, oh, who cares? No one's going to see this anyways. So I'd say, I said, that works for me because I'm not the most organized person. So what do you think if, what do you think of this idea? If we have your assistant just post every day, what uh, leads need to get done or what hasn't been done in our, our Slack channel. And if we see that two or three days go by that this doesn't happen, then we'll reach out and offer you some assistance to get it done. And she was like, yeah, I actually really like that idea. That would really help me stay accountable. You know, I'm not super organized, like on my own and organization, like it's, it's heavily a genetic trait. If you're not organized, there's not many people that are like, I was never organized in my twenties and now I'm perfectly organized in my thirties. It can happen. But by the time you reach 25, you're pretty much the person that you were born to genetically be for the most part. So it's a very hard thing to change just by saying like, I'm going to be more organized. I'm going to be more conscious of this or whatever. Um, and you, you, the, the reason I know that is because if you think back to elementary school, you, there's two kinds of kids, the ones that had like, they would get the paper from the teacher. The left side of the folder is homework. The right side of the folder is take to my parents to sign and they would insert everything neatly for every class. And then at night they'd go through it, make sure everything's done. And then there was people like me. And I remember I have very vivid childhood memories. I remember when I was five, back to when I was five years old in kindergarten and the teacher gave us a permission slip to get signed and the bell had rang, meaning we had to leave. And I had like five folders and I was like, well, I could go in and find which folder to put this paper in. Or what I chose to do was I literally just crumpled up the, the paper, shoved it into my backpack. And I was like, I'll deal with it later. So that, you know, and our teacher had taught us how to do it the right way, but genetically I'm just not an organized person. So that's the way that I, I chose to do it. So that the way I handled this conversation it took years to kind of figure out like you kind of have to go through some mental gymnastics to not offend somebody or not feel like you're micromanaging them and everybody's different. So this system might work for her, but for someone else who's naturally organized, they're just going to be annoyed by it. hundred percent. And, and it's, you know, it's always identifying like, what's the best approach for this person too? you know, it's like knowing, okay, is this someone that I'm going to communicate more directly because they just want direct communication or is it, you know, I'm going to have to tell a story because they're more expressive and they want to, you know, kind of feel like just have some more feeling to the conversation versus, you know, um, just kind of whatever the personality is a little bit too. And the, uh, the, I guess one of the questions I would ask on that is, okay, so you, you have a sales manager that was managing them as well. Mm -hmm. So I guess the question I would ask on that too is why was the sales manager allowing them to have, you know, their leads not, you know, categorized or I guess, you know, set, set in whatever stage they need to be in or follow up statuses or whatever, whatever the categorization, like what, what was their 
kind of reasoning of like, hey, like it's not happening and that you had to kind of jump in and help them? Yeah. So the sales manager is is very direct, very direct, very blunt. Okay. Yeah, okay. And she's like, I, I've Do gotten it. on. It's yeah, like- <laughs> she's like, I've gotten on calls with her. I've shown her like, you know, all the ways that I know how to do this. I've showed her my systems and then she'll kind of do it for like two weeks. But then eventually, you know, she just kind of falls back into this pattern. And, you know, for a lot of people that that'd be like, oh, we just need to get rid of this person. But I've seen how when they're locked in, they can uh, perform extremely well. And this is also a role that involves a lot of training. And it's not a role that exists anywhere else, like calling landlords, talking to them, convincing them to let us do Airbnb in their house, then pitching that that property to the client with all underwriting the property, making sure that it has good comps. Like there's a lot of training. Complicated role. Yeah. And it's not something that we can just hire somebody that's done this. Also, this person's been here for a while. Um, So I I was like, okay, let me go in with a different approach than what you've been trying. I can tell this person really cares about their job and the success of uh, in their role and the the success of the company. Um, Let me just come in and take a crack at it. And that's usually not something I do. Like I don't have a lot of one-on-one meetings with team members. I typically only speak to management for the most part. Um, But, you know, this person that is in the the manager role, she was someone who developed from the basically sales role into the management role. And so there's a lot of uh, training that needed to be, that needs to be done for that person as well. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's kind of stepping in and showing, showing how to coach versus them just, you know, having struggling with it and not knowing like where to go from here with the coaching that they're doing. It's super, super, uh, super interesting. And that definitely makes sense. So the thing that, um, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to like brainstorm in my head. It's like, okay, like at, you know, it's like, at what point do you, you know, make a change with someone like that, um, versus, you know, keeping them around, I guess I'm always like, okay, carrot or stick. You know, it's like, is there other, is there a way to incentivize this person to do the behavior that you're wanting them to do? Like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like I try to think of like, okay, what if they, you know, if they had their leads updated 80% of the month, like, so like throughout the entire month, 80% of the time, their commission that they get is tiered a little bit differently that month. So it's like they're incentivized each month to keep up on that and not at a hundred percent because no one's going to yeah. do it a hundred percent. Like it just does. It's not realistic, but I, I try to think of like, what are, what are like things that could be tied together where it's like, okay, like your commission is this, but if throughout the entire month you achieved 80%, you know, completion of, you know, all leads are tagged or followed up or whatever stage in there, then your commission could be a little bit higher to reward them for doing it. But it's like also, you know, some people it's they, they're more incentivized by the stick and they're like scared. And so that makes them take action versus like, oh, the rewards this. So, you know, so I, I guess I don't know Have you considered anything like that of like, you know, tying it into the way they're compensated, because my guess would be if they were actually, you know, making sure all of those leads were followed up with and everything was done every single day, or at least 80% of the time, they'd probably get more sales, which would make more money. So that it would kind of still make sense to pay them maybe a little more. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. I actually haven't, haven't thought of that. Um, but yeah, that's, that'd be solid. It'd be solid to make different incentives for different people. And yeah. And that's sometimes it's like, you know, the, the person is, is how you kind of have to incentivize it a little bit. And, you know, there's like certain things where, you know, it's like, 
a measurement of success is either it's just done or not done. And then there's like percentages of completion that that could be there. Um, you know, so I, I always try to think of that with, you know, how do we better, how do we best incentivize people and then how do you know, reward them for the right behavior that we want to see them do, um, and test it. I obviously, sometimes you do it, you roll something out like that and you're like, they didn't even freaking care. Like they, they're still at 62%, you know, compliance of, you know, if they work five days a week on average, there's 22 ish working days in a month. You know, it's like, that could just be something the manager is tracking and, or just flat fee bonus them. It's like, Oh, if you know that if they did that, that percentage of the time, you're going to get an extra couple sales. Like, what does that mean for the business? And can you just pay them an extra $1,500 flat bonus just for achieving it for that month? Like I'm always trying yeah. to think of that with our team members to like incentivize certain behavior to happen, even though it's like they make a commission. It's like if they do this other thing, that's going to help the rest of the company. It's going to make lead gen happy and marketing happy. And then it's going to make fulfillment happy because then we're getting more properties. Like, I don't know, just thinking out loud. Yeah. I mean, the best way I've found to change behavior is through incentives. So yeah. we most of our roles, it's like base plus incentive for the action that we need. And I think mm -hmm. that's also a big mistake that, you know, a lot of small business owners make because even it, like, I've especially like, for example, in, in construction, like they don't, they think like, okay, we're just going to pay this guy hourly to build the pool. Um, so it, it's like, uh, I always say the divorce lawyer, it's the worst business model in the world for consumers because mm -hmm. the divorce lawyer is incentivized. I mean, any lawyer really. Their incentive is to spend as much time as possible. Imagine you got paid for have for taking longer on everything. Like <laughs> imagine that, you know, for example, for us, if we got paid quadruple the amount to find a property, if we took four times longer, well, we'd probably <laughs> take four times longer. So that's why I think the way that d that lawyers bill is pretty flawed in the sense of what's best for the consumer. If I if I got a divorce, if I got married and, and had to get a divorce, I'd be like, hey, I'll give you an extra 50 grand if you can get this done in two months. <laughs> yeah. And they'd probably get it done a lot faster with a lot less headaches. And in their mind, they're like, oh, shoot, I could drag this out for like two years and make 200 grand, but it's going to take two years. Or I could get this done in two months, make 75, 80 grand or whatever, but I got it done in two months. So I think that I always examine in any deal, I always examine like what's the incentive. For example, another example is media buyers. Some media buyers charge you based on your ad spend, not your return on advertising spend. So yeah, they good. make more. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, cool. Let's spend a hundred grand this month or let's, let's needlessly spend another 10, 15 K because that'll cross us into the next threshold. And anytime that incentives are aligned, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're like the most saint person in the world, you're an angel, you're always going to operate in alignment with incentives. So I'm not saying lawyers are bad people or media buyers are bad people, but when the incentives there, that's the incentive that's going to drive them. Yeah, hundred percent. And the incentive process is so interesting. So we had, uh, at one of our companies, she's not here any longer. Uh, but you know, we had a, we had a project manager and this project manager was so detail oriented, would get stuff done and would do a great job, but she'd just piss people off in the process. Like she'd just like, you know, follow up too aggressively. And it's like, all right, 
I get that you want to be direct. And yes, it was due today. They got it to you one day late. But do we need to berate them in the process of that? Like, you know, it's like we, there's a way to communicate. Right. And it's like, you know, you try to coach in the books and all of that. So one of the things that we did, because one of her, you know, KPIs was project uh, estimated date completion at the start and then actual. So it's like it's going to take 30 days and you know, 80% of the time it's done on time or 70% of the time it's done on time and, you know, incentivized based off of that. So another metric that we added, because she was incentivized to just drive and push and pressure the people that she was working with, to just like, get it done, get it done. I need this done. And so one of the other metrics that we added on, and it was really interesting to see the behavior start to change, was we implemented quarterly with, with this specific individual um, we would do basically a, a scale, uh, a rating from all of the departments that she had to work with. So it'd be marketing, sales, op- you know, other operational roles, finance, any of the departments that she would have to work with the lead roles on a, on a monthly basis. And all of them would rate on a scale of one to 10, how, you know, uh, how, how great they think that this person is in the project management, you know, how, how much of a team player they are, like all of those things that, you know, help projects get done on time and, you know, with good communication, you know, good, uh, camaraderie as a team, good collaborative efforts. Um, and then, you know, provide some notes of feedback. So then a manager could look at that. And so with that, we, we had it where, you know, she had to get, I think it was like, 70% or higher to, you know, get her incentive for the quarter. And it was the rest of the team that was rating her. And that was, so then it changed her behavior because she was like, crap, like I have to make sure that these people are actually happy working with me because otherwise that's going to this, you know, I'm going to lose my incentive because I'm pissing them off. And that means they're all going to rate me poorly. And obviously like there has to be some policing of that in management of like, Hey, like don't be a, you know, a freaking butthole and everyone just rate her bad if she's not doing bad. But like it provided honest feedback of, okay, well, why is it that freaking sales, the salespeople or the sales lead and the marketing lead are saying that she's a 10, but finance and other operational roles are saying she's a one. Like we need to dig into that. Like, is there just a friction issue that those two individuals are having or what is it? And so that was something that, you know, it it was also not, you know, the leadership team saying you're not doing, you're not being a team player. You're not collaborating. It's, it's your team is saying that you're not collaborating and that's the feedback that they're providing to us. So that's why we're having this conversation. How can we help? How can we improve? You know, what is it that seems to be, you know, challenging and how can we work through that? So it's, it's trying to always, it's like leadership is so much like, how do we get all these freaking different personalities to work together well and collaborate and like want to help and not be freaking pains in the butt or siloed, you know, departments and things like that. So that was something, you know, with roles that, um, and that was the only role that we've had to do that with. Cause it was just constant. It was just, they were great, but that was a constant challenge. And so, you know, it's like how, you know, it's these incentives and it's like, how do you, how do you get them to, how do you get people to work better together? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough thing and it's not something people think about when they think of like the CEO or COO. One no. thing that's helped us a lot though is is getting the right em- like right empathetic amount of person in the like operation. We call it VP of ops role and having her take over like all of hiring has made our hiring so much better. Um she oversees like 
the client success, the operations of things. Um, she's like, gets on like client satisfaction and save calls and having the right person in that role before that role. Like I'm, I'm not the kind of person that likes to be like client facing all the time. No. I don't love talking to clients all the time. So that kind of stuff is very draining for me. And for a while, I just was like, man, I don't think there's anybody in the world that can do this, which is crazy to think. And then we we got this person in the role and it it was one of my least favorite things. It's like, oh, this person's pissed off. You got to get on a call with them. Um, that was like my that was so draining, for me, especially when you have to take like three, three of those in a day. <laughs> um, so now having somebody that really is really, really, really good at operations, which is not like I, I know what operations should look like, but I'm not the person that wants to sit there making like job posts, scheduling a million interviews, rescheduling a half of them and then doing a follow up interview and then onboarding them and all that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff is so draining for me. So I would say if, if we go back to like the beginning, I think sales should have been our first hire, which it was. Then we needed somebody to help with fulfillment. And then the third hire I would have made after that, even if it was a stretch to afford, would be like a head of operations person that could really build this. Because if we would have built the systems that we have now from day one, we would have made so much more money, higher client satisfaction, much less refunds. And overall, everything would have just been a lot smoother. And that's something that we just kind of delayed, delayed, delayed. And no one was really in charge of for like the first year. And I didn't even really know what that role should look like or what they what they would do or what they would be paid or anything like that. And the first person that we put in the role, you know, kind of melted things down even worse. So then that gave me even less confidence that someone could figure this out. Yeah. And uh, once we finally did figure it out, I was like, man, dude, life is so good now. And dude. that's one of the things like I heard someone say this the other day. They're like, oh, I want to I forgot if it was Hermosi or, or some online guru. And they were saying they were talking to somebody and they were like, oh, I want to sell my company. And they're like, OK, why do you why, why do you want to not, not sell it? Well, I'm I'm drained. OK, well, what's draining you? It's like this, this and this. It's like, OK, why don't you just hire somebody to do this, this and this? And that was what I should have done much earlier on and, and really, really focused on that because those were the things that were draining me. And like a year into this, comp not even a year in, we launched in February. By like November, I was already thinking about quitting and doing something else because I was like, man, this is just too hard. I just don't like no one's ever figured this out. <laughs> Everything's kind of it. Some days it just feels like the whole company's just melting down. Oh, yeah. Like, this person quit. This person that used to perform is not performing anymore. These three people want refunds. And you're just like, I don't think I'm ever going to figure <laughs> this out. And yeah. uh, luckily, like I remember about a good week, me and my partner kind of just sat around like talking about like, how are we going to break this down? What are we going to do next? Um, yeah. what do we, and luckily we, we stuck with it and figured it out. Cause it was funny because from November, when I thought the world was ending, it took until probably about March to really figure everything out. So it took about five months of actively working all these problems. Whereas like, man, we got, it's like the picture of the guy that's like in the mining tunnel. And he's like, yeah, he, he's walking back. Gold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just like that. Like we were three feet from gold and we were about to quit. And luckily we stuck with it because not only did we get through that, but now I know exactly what a company should look like at, at this level. So when mm -hmm. we go to do it again, 
it's we're starting a, a, a new company right now. It's kind of a sister company to, the, to what we're doing. And we're starting from day one with everything that we have now two years in from here. And I'm like, man, this is so much easier. Like oh, we're going to yeah. blow this up way faster. And that's something mm -hmm. I didn't realize is like you only have to get the skills once. Once you have yep. the skills, you have them there. for life. 100%. Yeah. And I, I just want to, you know, speak on you're talking about the things that are draining, right? Because I, I think that's where and especially people that are in like more of the solopreneur stage are wanting to scale, they want to grow, they want to build a business beyond just themselves and, you know, have more flexibility, freedom, profitability. Yeah, I think that is one of the most understated things in growing a business is like recognizing your energy. And the things that give you energy or take energy away from you usually will give you the idea of what things you need to get delegated or outsourced sooner um, because you're going to be able to do more. Like for me, I I don't do good with, I mean, if you had me making sales calls all day, like within like half the day, I would want to jump off the roof of my house and be like, dude, I'm, I'm done. Like, I hate this. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to. I don't want to haggle with people and negotiate and like, I'm happy to negotiate bigger deals and things, but like, I'm not trying to collect $2,000 on the phone from someone. Like, I'm like, Oh, kill me now. Like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And, but there's other people that they're just like juiced and like, dude, like I got four people to collect $2,000 from today. Like I'm hype. Like I'm going to the club and bottles and like they're hype. And it's like, I would, I don't want to do that, you know? So it's like, everyone has the things that give them energy or take energy. And I think that's a lesson of, you know, you find out when you're in a good sweet spot of the things that uh, you should be doing in your business when you like to do them, you're good at them, and you actually get energy from doing them. And it's it's leading to your business actually making profit too. Like that's important. Um, but I, I think a lot of people get stuck in that, like you said, and they're just like, oh, like I'm just drained from doing it. And, and for people listening, it, I don't want people to think like, oh, well, if I'm not happy doing certain things, like I shouldn't have to do any of them. It's like, well, sometimes you also have to do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. Like if you don't have the funding to hire someone to do your finance or operations, it doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be done. It's just like you just need to do it for a little bit and like trudge your way through it. And like it's not fun. But as soon as you possibly can get someone else to help you with it. And so that's that's something that, you know, I'm always trying to monitor that myself of like, what are the things that I'm working on that are giving me energy? And what are the things that like I work on it for an hour and I'm just like, oh, like just drained. And and one of those things is writing out like kind of what success looks like for departments and, you know, for certain roles, like certain like basically now director and above roles, I'll still write like the keys of success for the role. But now because I'm like, I don't like the nitty gritty part of writing it. So I'm like, how do I do this? So I met with my assistant earlier and I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't get a lot of energy. It takes me like two hours to do one of these each time I do. So now what I'm doing and I'm testing it, it's just a test. So we'll see. But I'm recording a loom, like just kind of going over it and just like explaining what I'm expecting from the role, what I'm seeing as successful outcomes and and then I passed it to her to see, you know, have her write it and then see how that shakes out instead of me spending two hours on it. Um, it was like 16 minute loom instead. But, you know, it's like identifying like where that energy is at is, is super helpful because you're going to do better work when you're energized, too. Um, so with, with, with that, you know, uh, I guess any other areas that you're like, 
you know, trying to break through or, you know, go to the the next level on that you kind of want to talk through before we wrap here in a few? Yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts are on attracting A players and how you identify one in the interview process and more importantly, how you keep an A player once they're on the team. I love that. So um, I think through a lot of making mistakes, we've learned a lot of things, but we have a multiple step interview process and that just that thing alone already threw out a lot of candidates for whenever we're hiring. Like when I first wanted to implement a multiple step interview process, our recruiter wasn't happy. He was like, dude, like this is like people aren't wanting to even, you know, meet. And I'm like, good, I don't want them then. If they don't want to go through the steps, I don't want them at our company. And so, you know, initially they have to apply for the role and we do weird crap. Like if you go to manifestu.com, you know, we, we tell them to, to review that. And then there's like certain things our recruiter will kind of ask for on attention to detail roles, not on sales roles, but there's certain little things like at the end of it, we have a spoof in, in the, in the hiring video and our recruiter asks them, you know, Hey, did you watch it? If they say yes, at the end of the video, it's like, what did you think about the end of the video? And if they're just like, Oh, it was super professional. It's literally like people on our team cursing and like messing up in the in the recording so we know that they're full of crap and they're lying and it's like if they're starting off the conversation lying and they're supposed to be a detail-oriented role we're not going to continue the conversation um so like we we like put in little you know landmines throughout our interview process but uh so when they first do uh they have an initial call with our recruiter so we'll have the job add up they'll have an initial call with our recruiter um, which is just kind of going over basic questions and, you know, why they, why they're interested in the role. What do they know about the company to make sure they're not just job hunting to get paid. They actually know about the company. They actually researched it. They know what we do. If they didn't do that, they're not going to go to the next stage. So also, uh, yeah, I, I would reduce- say some of my, my favorite people just on that quick note are ones who like, they see a, a post on LinkedIn or whatever, and then they message you, they apply, but they message you and they're like, Hey, I think I'd be a great fit for this role because of my experience here. I looked up what you guys did. I, I'm really fascinated with Airbnb, blah, blah, blah. Like the the worst is when you get on the on the call and you're like, yeah, so what you know, what do you know about our company? And they're like, uh, I actually don't even really remember what I've been applying for a lot of places. I don't really yeah. remember exactly. I'm like, bro. <laughs> Yeah. It's like that won't even like, that's not even going to like go anywhere. So, you know, obviously like at, at, you know, for people that are listening that are smaller, it's like, you could just facilitate all these steps yourself. Right. But you know, our, our process now is like they, you know, they, they apply, they have to have that initial call with our recruiter. If our recruiters like, I feel good about them, they're going to funnel them into a smaller group of applications. They're then going to schedule, um, a zoom interview with the, uh, you know, whoever the hiring manager is. So like whatever department they're going to be working in, that person and the recruiter will both get on that call together um, with the uh, with the candidate. And on that call is where they're typically going to uh, go through technical questions with them and just making sure that they actually are competent to do the, uh, do the role. And before they get to the final interview, they every role has a case study that they have to go through. And so basically um you know like uh, let's say an editor or a graphic designer for example the case study will be okay so 
after the technical, we, you know, our, the hiring manager feels good about them. They're going to assign them the homework of the case study to see their work and see if they actually can do a good graphic. It'll be, hey, here's a video. We want you to uh, create create a hook at the beginning of it. And then we want, you know, we want to see your storytelling abilities in the video. And here are the, you know, we want it to be color graded this way and give them all these weird things that they have to do in, in the video um, for the completed product. And so we give them that and so that they have to complete it. They submit it. If it's a video, you know, the completion of it, um, hey, turn, you know, pull two, two reels out of it and do a long form video uh, out of it as well. Um, or a graphic designer, we want to see three variations of thumbnails. We want to see, you know, a logo. Um, you know, we're making a new, we're making up a company. We need a new logo and a brand guide and give that to them. And so they have to submit that homework. And so a lot of times, like, again, that's another stage in our process that sometimes people will complain about. They're like, oh, look, I'm doing work for free. Like I charge people to do this. It's like not a good fit. You're not a team player. Like we're trying to, we're going to be paying you a salary to come work here. But if you're not even willing to show us that you know how to do the job you say that you can do, I don't care about your, you know, the, uh, the link to your portfolio of stuff that could be stolen from anywhere. I don't care about that. It's here's the video we want done. Do it this way. We want to see it. Or here's the graphic we want done. Do it this way. Um, and so through that process of like the first stage, then the technical, which is a lot of BS testing, then the case study is the ultimate BS test. And then the final part, um, which is the in-person where typically for like manager roles, um, you know, where we're really... Obviously, we always want A players, but if in a manager role, we'll typically have the recruiter, um, you know, isn't usually in that final interview anymore. It's usually the hiring manager. And then um, a lot of times myself will be in those ones um, for management and above. I like to be in the final interviews to make sure we're not bringing in, you know, weirdos that don't fit our culture and in, into the company. And so, um, you know, at that final stage, we review their case study with them. And sometimes it's a presentation. It's like, you know, go through this and we want you to present us what your plan of attack would be on this specific thing. They present it. We, we poke holes in it. We ask them, you know, uh, uh, core value questions, you know, talk, let's talk about a time when you, you know, uh, where you felt in your previous career, you lived this core value, like tell us a story of that. And so, you know, we, we really push hard on the core value questions during that. And then we just poke at their, their case study during that, um, that final interview as well. Um, and then, you know, when, when we're bringing people on, um, we always set the expectation of like, it's always a nine, you know, the first 90 days is a probationary period. And it's like, that's the time that we want to make sure this is a good fit for you. It's a good fit for, for us. And, um, and, you know, really having solid uh, expectations for when they start. So like when they start, we have, you know, written out like, here's your three keys of what success is in the role. And over your first 30, 60, 90 days, these are the things that we expect to be accomplished. And sometimes it's going to shift at day 30. We realize, you know, they move faster or they move slower or we shift something in the company and then we reestablish the next 30, 60 with them. And we're, we're monitoring that progress through that, that period of time. Um, and so that's kind of our, from interview to actually onboard, getting them in the role. We typically see within, honestly, within 60 days, we always know if someone's going to make it or not. So like, we'll usually, if someone's not going to make it within 60 days, they're going to, 
be cut from the team because you know i've joked about this with one of our directors you know because we had someone that had went past that and this was some months back and i'm like you know when have we ever had someone that within the first 60 days they've been here and they were not doing a good job and they weren't impressive at doing the role that magically they just started being amazing like how many people could we say that's true of and both of us were like zero people have ever been crappy in the first 60 days and magically became great afterwards um that in our experience you know there's obviously probably situations where it's like maybe there's a bad manager in another company and had a great employee under them and whatever right but in our experience that's what we look at so we typically know that they're either going to make it or not in that time frame and then as far as keeping them it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier of what is their career path look like here what is their ascension look like you know they go from junior to you know normal editor to senior editor to production da, 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 da. you know it's like what are the stages of the the what are the stages of the opportunity and how big is the opportunity for those team members you know for a players i think it's one, you know, alignment of core values that you're tied on the values and, you know, you believe in the same thing there. What does the opportunity look like for them in the company? Because winners want to win. Regardless of where they are, they want to win. And so it's showing them what is winning in their opinion, like how do they win in this company and achieve their goal in your company? So, and that's that whole plan of here is the ascension of how you can grow in this company and what that could mean monetarily for you. Um, and it's, it's coaching them to grow into that over time. You know, that's, that's really the way I look at it is a players, they want to know how do I achieve my goals in this company? And it's painting the vision of this is where we're going as a company. When we reach this level in the company, this role is going to be needed that doesn't exist right now. And that is a role that you could have an opportunity to work towards and earn. But it's not just guaranteed. Like there's things you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to get better. Your skill sets are going to have to grow to get to that point. So it's it's casting the vision of, what, you know, it's like, where is our company going? And then in that, what does that mean for the individual? So it's like showing where where their path is really going to be, I think, is one of the most important parts. Um, and, and, you know, finding A players, retaining A players, and then, you know, cultivating a team of more A players. Yeah, super helpful. 100%. So, you know, that's that's uh, that's kind of what, you know, I look at. And, and it doesn't mean that, you know, it's perfect. And, you know, we still, you know, it, it's gotten a lot better. But, you know, sometimes there's still hires that'll come in um, that don't work out. And, and typically it's in situations like this. It's it's those leaders of leaders, right? Because sometimes you have to let your leaders screw up. Um, so you'll, you know, we have tier, a tier where it's like, you know, I have a director that then has a manager under them and that manager is a newer manager and they've only, hi they've never hired before, but you know, we taught them the interview process, you know, they were coached through it. Um, you know, we had like, this is a real example. The director helped them hire the first person. So they got to go through the process with them. And then we gave them the opportunity for another role that needed to be hired on their team for them to do it. And just like kind of watch them through it, gave them some guidance, but let that person pick the hire that they actually brought in. And the person that this um, new manager brought in, you know, more on their own didn't end up working out. But we gave them the gift of having the opportunity to learn and then have the reflection of why didn't they work out? What could I have done better in the interview process? What are the things that I missed? What were maybe some of the red flags? Does that cost our company some money? Yeah, but 
the experience of that newer manager now having that, like, what is the likelihood that they're going to improve on, you know, future hires they bring on? It's, it's kind of, I see it as just like an investment in the team. And obviously it's like not going to let the, you know, a role that's like critical mission, critical, you know, bring in, that's going to just destroy the company either. Right. It's like, you know, it was a, a more minor kind of supporting role that they brought in, you know? So, yeah. but it's, it's the gift of learning, but yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of my, my two cents on that. But, you know, I know we're, we're running up on time here. Um, so just want to ask you this one last question, JR, before we wrap. And it is for those that they're a solopreneur right now, they've, you know, they, they haven't built a team yet, but they want to, what would you say is words of encouragement or, you know, any, anything that you would, um, you know, leave them with to get the confidence to start building that team. And so they could actually create a business that's, you know, beyond just themselves. Yeah, my, my last company, I was in the same spot, like I was doing all the sales, all the fulfillment. And I remember vividly having the thought of like, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm qualified to train a salesperson or hire a salesperson. I don't feel like, you know, it It was outside the realm of like possibility in my mind that I could hire somebody to do sales well. And uh, I was stuck on like, well, I need to figure out how to sell this successfully first, um, which there was there's some truth, like it was a new offer, unproven offer. Um, but really hiring the salesperson and then managing them and listening to their calls, we really, we figured out how to sell the, the program and, and how to repackage it and change the offer up. So, uh, just know, like I was in a position where I also was doing everything, but there's, you know, two kinds of people, the person that 20 years from now, they're still doing everything or the person who's like, let me just make the hire. And once I free up sales and I have somebody who's dependent on their sales income, now I have the bandwidth to figure out how to fill up their calendar, which ultimately is going to make me more money. So mm -hmm. just trust in that process, especially if you sell something that's like a commodity or something that someone else has figured out um, and you know that that it's been figured out already. It's uh, I, I'd say just jump out there, hire your first salesperson, make mistakes, monitor them closely, listen to all their calls have daily meetings with them. And once you free up that time, then just focus on filling up their calendar. And then that'll create new issues in fulfillment and scaling fulfillment. And you just figure it out one step at a time. One of my mentors, I'll kind of end with this. There's a there's a movie called The Martian uh, or Martian with Matt Damon, where he basically gets stuck on Mars. He's like an astronaut. They go to Mars. Everyone thinks he's dead, but he's actually on Mars. And he ends up getting off Mars, spoiler alert. And the last scene, if you just YouTube last scene Martian or professor scene Martian, he's like a college professor. And he's like, given this, the beginning of the lecture and he's like ground rules. And I, I know you guys are gonna ask, how did you get off Mar Mars all by yourself? And he's like, if you look at the task as getting off Mars, then it, it's impossible. But if you focus on solving one problem at a time, you solve one problem, then you solve another problem, then you solve another problem, and you're only ever solving one problem at a time, and soon enough you solve enough problems and you get to go home. But if you look at it as this mon mon monumental task, then you're never gonna get off Mars. And that's kind of how the movie went. Like first he had to figure out food, then he had to figure out communication, then he had to figure out whatever else. So it was just him solving these one problems at a time, and it's very similar to business. First you figure out sales, your next problem is I need to figure out how to solve, how to fill their calendar. 
The next problem is now they're not closing. Um, so now I need to figure out how to get them up to 30% closing rate. Then the next problem is now their appointments have kind of gone down. Then you fix that. Then now you're signing up too many people and you don't have the bandwidth to, to fulfill them all properly. Then you uh, solve that. And then the next uh, step is now you're kind of involved in everything. So you need some managers. Then you solve that. And every problem, you know you're making progress when a problem creates a new problem. And that's typically how it goes. So it's the natural progression of business. Just do it. Like, don't be one of those guys that in 20 years has never even thought about hiring a salesperson and, and just does it all himself. It's just so silly. 100%. I, you know, at, at events and things that, you know, I'll help facilitate and, you know, talking with business owners, the thing that I tell them is you don't, you know, there, there's a difference in the, the person that, you know, there's a lot of like real estate agents is like a very common one. You know, it's like real estate agent says, I've been in business for 20 years. And my response to that, because they're the one they've doing, they're doing everything the same is you really have only been in business one year, 20 times because you're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting some different result to happen, but you're not making changes. You're not improving. You're not, you're not building a team. So it's like you're, you're in the same spot. Um, so that's, you know, my, my, uh, my thoughts on that as well. And, you know, JR, appreciate having you on. Where can people find you? Obviously on, on, you know, when this comes out on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, um, we'll have your information, but, uh, anywhere that you want people to find you website, Instagram, anything like that. Yeah. At JR Rivas, R-I-V-A-S on Instagram and YouTube. Love it. Appreciate you, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks.